Well, good morning. How is everybody feeling? Healthy? No. Man, I know we got a couple of people that are home watching online because sickness is going around. Heather and Isaiah are among them. It has gone back through our house this week. We were arguing about who gave it to who this time. And so we started counting back who had the first symptoms. And Heather was like, well, mine started Tuesday. And I said, well, mine started Monday. And then I realized mine came first. So, um, but again, sharing is caring. So I share my germs with my family because I love them. Uh, but uh, I, I honestly did not know if I was going to make it this morning, but I took a pre-workout. I took Tylenol, Mucinex, Sudafed, and I mean, I am just running on drugs right now. The good kind, not the bad kind. Um, but we're going to get through this. So if you'll join me, though, we're going to go to God in prayer before we get started because we need him in this moment. So Father God, we just come before you. And God, it's so good, again, just to be able to gather together with fellow believers. God, you say how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And God, this is an aspect of that. And so we just pray that as we directed our hearts to you in song, God, that that was glorifying to you. And now as we get ready to just hear your word, God, I ask, let it be your truth. And I ask that we just not leave here the same. That as we look more and more at who Jesus is, what his life was about, and God, how we can imitate him. May it affect our hearts. God, we need you in this time. I pray that you be with my voice. I pray that you be, be with my lungs. Help them just be clear so that your message can be conveyed. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, I don't know if you've ever looked up like weird laws in Kansas or even in the nation, but there's some pretty weird laws out there. And so I looked up a couple of them just so that when you enter these cities, you guys don't get arrested because I feel like it's my civic duty to be able to inform you so that you're not in trouble. So first one is, did you know that in Topeka, Kansas, it's illegal to spit on the sidewalk? So I don't want anybody going around getting in trouble. So in Topeka, no spitting on the sidewalk. Also, it seems like most of these are in Topeka, up in that area. It is against the law to sing at night. And if you whistle, you could get arrested for disturbing the peace. Did not know that. In Lawrence, this is an interesting one. Don't keep a bee in your hat. I don't know why you would do that in the first place, but it is illegal to keep a bee in your hat. In Derby, it is illegal to hit a vending machine that stole your money. I can totally understand that one though. In Russell, musical car horns are banned. So no Dukes of Hazard car horns going on in Derby, Kansas in, uh, or in Russell. In Wellington, you're not allowed to have more than four cats in your house. I agree with that law. It should probably be less. In Topeka, I'm sorry if you like cats. In Topeka, snowball fights are illegal. Yeah, that's just wrong. Upon arriving in Lawrence, you must sound your horn so that you can alert horses that you are coming into town. In Derby, you cannot screech your car tires. Just a little side note on that one. Heather and I signed up for Snapshot, which is like the vehicle tracker in your car. 
and it like could save us a bunch of money on our car insurance and it tracks if you hit your brakes really hard and it actually has done worse for my driving record because I'm coming up to a stop sign really fast and it's like, oh crud, I either have to brake really hard or not brake at all. <laughs> so stop signs have become all the more optional ever since I've got that added into my vehicle. Um, so look out for a white forerunner if you're coming up to the stop sign. Anyways, uh, I do not screech my tires. And the last one, in Natoma, the practice of throwing knives at men in striped suits is prohibited. So if they're not wearing a striped suit, feel free to throw a knife at them. But if they have a striped suit on, do not throw a knife at them. And now you listen to those laws and it's like, what in the world? Like the four cat one, totally understandable. A couple of those other ones, I don't get. But when you think about where did these laws come from? They had to have originated from somewhere. Something had to have happened for them to be like, man, too many people are walking around with bees in their hats. We have to stop it. And so they make a law because they're like, we, we have to outlaw it so that people stop doing it. And it all started from a good spot. There was a legitimate reason. That's usually how crazy things start, is they start from somewhere of a good heart, but then eventually, over time, they become an ultimate thing. They become too much of a thing. And that's kind of what we see when we, when we look at the Pharisees. As we're continuing on in our life of Christ, as we're working through the life of Christ, and we start to see this opposition come against Jesus. And it's coming from this group specifically called the Pharisees. And what they did is they started in a good place, I believe. But they made it an ultimate thing. And they lost track of what God's heart truly was. So they, they took the law, which was good, but then they pushed it on people and they made it too much of a thing and they burdened people. And so Jesus actually comes with strong words against them. And what he tells us in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, he tells his disciples, but I think he's speaking the same thing to us today. And he's saying, watch out. Beware or be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And in Luke chapter 12, he tells us that leaven is hypocrisy. And so he's telling the church today what he told the disciples, that if we are not careful, Pharisaism can creep into our lives. Hypocrisy, judgmentalism, those things that Jesus came to fight and to push against, they can creep into our lives. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. As we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to see Jesus going against the Pharisees. And he tells us, watch out, beware that you do not let this come into your heart because he says it's leaven. It starts out small, but if you're not careful, it will eventually leaven the entire loaf. A little bit of Pharisaism can eventually work its way into the entire body. So Matthew chapter 12, we're told this. At that time, Jesus, he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, 
Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? He entered the house of God, ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so here we see kind of this introduction again into the Pharisees, this religious group that is pushing against Jesus. And if you've been following along in our readings, this isn't the first time that Jesus has encountered the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is scrutinized because this is the story of the paralytic being lowered into the house. And Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. But before that, he actually says, your sins are forgiven. And they attack him because they say, hold on, only God can forgive sins. But he sees their hearts. And then he says, which is easier to say, take up your mat and walk or your sins are forgiven. But so that you may know that the son of man has the ability to forgive sins, he tells the man, rise and walk. And he does so. Right after that, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus is criticized because he eats with the wrong party. Here the Pharisees think that they are the religious elites. They are the good guys. And so Jesus is eating with the people that they don't want you to associate with. The sinners, the tax collectors, the downtrodden. Right after that, Jesus is criticized because his disciples don't fast. And so they're like, hey, John's disciples fast, we fast, why do your disciples not fast? And so they're constantly coming after Jesus. And then in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is casting out a demon, and they say, this man cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus says, a house divided among itself cannot stand, it is not by that that I cast out these demons. And so we see that Jesus has already had opposition, and he really gets it throughout the new, throughout his ministry from three areas. One is he gets it from the Pharisees who we've talked about. These are the ones who are separated. That's what Pharisee means, separated ones, that they really wanted to be holy. And so they separated themselves from everybody else. They held to personal piety, but they also held to the oral tradition. So they took, this is what God's law says, but there are all these other commands that you have to live by. There's God's law, but then there's man-made tradition. And so we believe you need to hold to every single one of those. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. They were kind of your middle-class person, and they were more focused on religion than politics. They really held to religious extremes. Then you also have the Sadducees. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees kind of made up the Sanhedrin, which was the 70 member like Supreme Court of Israel. They made kind of the laws and they oversaw everything that happened specifically religiously in Israel. But the Sadducees were more politically focused. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so Jesus kind of pits them against each other in a couple of areas. 
And really, they didn't have any problem with Jesus until Jesus started saying he was the king of the Jews. And then the political aspect of the Sadducees came out and they were like, whoa, now we're coming against you. And they were opposed to the Pharisees a lot of times until it came to condemning Jesus. And then they both just joined teams. So you have the Pharisees, you have the Sadducees, and lastly, you have this group called the scribes. And they are kind of the interpreters of the law. They are kind of the lawyers of the time. They took what the word said and then they applied it. They taught it. They were your teachers. A lot of times they were Pharisees, but not every Pharisee was a scribe. And so those are the three people that as you read through the ministry of Jesus, you see he is butting heads with because they held to the word, which isn't a bad thing, but they took the word and they made it not what God intended for it to be. Because what we see in our text here is them attacking Jesus and his disciples for working on the Sabbath. But is that really what Jesus was doing? Is that really what was happening? So again, they're holding to Old Testament law, where in Exodus chapter 20, one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt honor the Sabbath, keep the Sabbath, and make it holy. Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. God says, work six days, you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord. On it, you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gate. And so here they are saying that it says don't work, And so they're like, don't even travel a long way from your house. Don't even tie up your donkey. Don't pick the grain or the heads off of grain because that is work. They are taking what God's word says and they don't want to profane it. And I kind of respect that where they're like, man, we don't want to break the word of God. So we're going to hold to it so tightly because that can be my heart. Where it's like, man, I want to honor God's word. I want to hold to it and I don't want to break it. And so I'm going to hold this extreme literal interpretation of it. And I believe it came from a good heart because Numbers chapter 15 tells us that there was this guy that on the Sabbath went out and he was picking up sticks on the Sabbath. You know what happened to him? They stoned him. They said they brought him before Moses Because they said he's working on the Sabbath. So they come before the Lord and they say, what should we do with him? And God says, take him out and have the congregation stone him. So you kind of see where the Pharisees are coming from. Like, hold on, we, we read in the law that this guy worked on the Sabbath and what happened to him? God said that he is to be stoned. That's a pretty serious offense against God. And he holds a high standard of what is to happen if you break the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees started with this mindset. Not only that, God also says that the Sabbath isn't just the seventh day of the week. It is also the seventh year. So six years they should work the land. And then on the seventh they should give the land rest. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 3. He says, six years you shall sow your field. Six years you shall pursue your vineyard and gather in its fruits, but in the seventh year it shall be a Sabbath, solemn rest for the land. 
You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. And then in chapter 26, he says, if you do not obey this, I will scatter you among the nations. I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. The land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. So God is saying, if you are not willing to honor the Sabbath, I will take you out of the land and I will make the land have its Sabbath on its own. And if you remember while we were going through the Old Testament, that's exactly what happened. Second Chronicles chapter 36, it says that they took into Babylon into exile those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to Nebuchadnezzar and his sons until the establishment of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. So now look back at the history of Israel. If you are a Pharisee at this time and you look back and you say, okay, this guy did not honor the Sabbath and he was stoned. The land did not honor the Sabbath and they went into exile. We need to honor the Sabbath. Like it starts from a good spot of, we don't wanna go through that again. It started in a good spot, but the thing is, is that they made it an ultimate thing. They started adding man-made restrictions to it. They took what scripture said and they said, this is scripture, we don't wanna break scripture so we're gonna set the line right here. It's kind of like for parents where it's like, okay, I don't, for Heather and I, we have a creek with a bridge. And at some point the road is beyond the creek. But at some point we're gonna set a boundary for Isaiah because we don't want him running into the road. We're gonna say, don't go past the bridge. Now he's not gonna get hit by a car, at the bridge, but we are setting this boundary to prevent him from going into the real danger zone. And that's what the Pharisees started doing. So that we don't break the law, we're gonna set boundaries here that keep you from breaking the law. An example of this is the third commandment. Thou shalt not misuse the name of the Lord. And so what they did is they said, you know what? We're not even gonna say God. We're not gonna say Yahweh. We're not gonna utter the name of God. And so they would say that name which we will not say, and they wouldn't even spell it out. They would spell G-D or L-R-D because they're like, we don't wanna run the risk of using this in vain. So we're not gonna say it and we're not gonna actually spell it out. That way we never have to actually break that rule. And they took that and they started adding to it. So the Old Testament law is 600 laws, and they said, you know what, let's double that. Let's start adding more and more to that. And the problem is, is that they lost the heart. They lost the heart of the law, which is caring for people. Because Jesus is tested in Matthew chapter 22. 
and they come to him and they say, which is the most important commandment? So you've got the big 10 and then you've got 590 plus following after it. And they say, which one's the most important? And Jesus says, you have read what it says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And then he says, the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the law and the prophets depend on these. But the Pharisees were not loving their neighbor as their self. They were loving themselves and loving the law and not caring about people. We see this in Matthew verse nine of Matthew chapter 12, where it says, Jesus went from there and he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, they're just waiting for Jesus. They see this man, they already know the heart of Jesus to care for people. And so they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or, or of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath because they're saying you can't do anything on the Sabbath, but then they even understand that if my sheep falls in a pit, I can go rescue it. And Jesus is saying, how much more important is it to care for God's people? Then he goes on to say, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him how to destroy him. I mean, here they're mad at Jesus and look at how little effort it takes Jesus. It's not like he's committing major surgery on this guy. He is looking at the man and simply speaking, stretch out your hand and the man is able to do it. It took no work, it took no effort and yet they are furious with him. And Jesus already said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so Jesus is coming to refute what the Pharisees say. Because in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, right before this, he's contrasting here. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are burdened. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then he's showing this is the yoke of the Pharisees. They're coming to add to it. I came to set you free. That's what Galatians 5 tells us. It says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. You have been set free, therefore stand firm, but do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to all the burdens and the restrictions that Christ has come to set us free from that. And in Romans chapter seven, he says, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so he's saying that the law is good because the law shows us our sin. The law shows us our need for a savior. 
So none of us should be living trying to measure up to the standard of the law. That is restrictive. That is burdensome. That is like today thinking, oh, man, I already had a negative thought about somebody. Next week we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to see it's the heart that nobody is perfect by the law. Because it's not just I haven't committed adultery, it's I've lusted after somebody. It's not just I haven't committed murder, but I have been angry with somebody. It shows us all that we break the law in our heart all the time. And it's not that we should feel burdened by that because we are now righteous, not by works of the law, but by the works of Christ, by the work that he did for us and now through us. And so we have been set free from the works of the law so that we can now live in the freedom of Christ. But as we have now been believers for a while, what Jesus tells us at the beginning in Mark chapter 8, verse 15, again, he says, watch out, beware, because the leaven of the Pharisees can creep in where we can start saying grace for me, but not for you where pharisaical tendencies can creep into our lives and we have to watch out, checking our hearts. So I wanna close with five kind of signs that we are struggling with Phariseeism. This might hit close to home, it did on me. But these are what God shows us the Pharisees had and can creep into our lives. So five signs that you might struggle with pharisaical tendencies. Sign number one, you hold people to your own personal standard and not what God's standard is. That God gives us his word. God shows, excuse me, God shows us how a believer should live their lives. That God's word actually tells us that we are to hold each other to a standard. First Corinthians chapter five actually tells us that we are to judge those who are inside the church, but it's not to my own standard, it's to God's standard. So this is me holding people to God's standard, not my own standard. Another way of saying this is for me, I have personal convictions. But to force my convictions upon people that are not scriptural, that is where it becomes a pharisaical tendency. I'm going to share one. You might think this is kind of weird. I usually get that. My conviction was that I would not kiss somebody until it was my wife. That on my wedding day, Heather and I, when we kissed, that was my first time kissing another woman. It made for an awkward kiss, if I'm honest. She jokes with me about it because I hadn't ever kissed anybody and I did not practice on my hand. And so when it came time to kiss, all these people are around and it's like, hey, and then we were done. And it was like, all right, I'm sorry about that. But that was my conviction. Judge me if you want. That was my conviction. But now what if I went around to all my other, to Heather and was like, "You, you kissed a guy before me? I don't think we can date. You are a sinful person. Well, my conviction was not to kiss somebody, but does that mean that if you kiss before you're married, you're going to hell? I'm not gonna say that. I didn't think I was going to hell. It was my conviction. 
But to push that on people would be pharisaical. Now, God's word does say the marriage bed should not be defiled. That is God's standard. That is what we hold each other to, not my personal conviction. Matthew chapter 23, verse 4 tells us this, that the Pharisees, they tie heavy burdens on people that are hard to bear. They lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So they're putting these standards on other people that they're not willing to live with themselves. They're putting their convictions, their standards on people. A very common one of these is gonna maybe hit close to home in church talk, but judging somebody based on what they wear to church. You know, the Bible actually never talks about what you wear to church. The Bible talks about God caring more about the heart than the outward appearance. And so for me to look at somebody and say, man, because they're not wearing a suit and tie, me neither, but because they're not wearing that, they are not as spiritually mature as I am. We got to check our hearts on that. That's not God's standard. God's standard is what is their heart behind it. So a tendency of Pharisaism is that we are holding people to our personal standard, our personal convictions, which are convictions, live by your convictions, but to force them on somebody else when it is not God's word. That would be a tendency of Pharisaism. Sign number two. Actually, there's another verse on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 28, Paul says, he's talking about this, that um, if he's eating and somebody says, this has been offered in sacrifice, he says, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean, your conscience, but his. Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? And so he's saying, I have the freedom to do this, but love, I heard this from another pastor, Love limits liberty. And so that means that I have liberty. So if I know that somebody in here is like, man, I really think that people should dress up for church. And I come up here, that's why I wear button-ups every day. I'm trying to find that happy medium. But if I came up here in shorts and a cut-off t-shirt, and I was like, you know what? The Bible says that I can wear whatever I want. It doesn't matter. I understand some of, some of y'all might struggle with that. And I want my love to not cause anybody to stumble. And so even though your convictions don't control me, my love will try to limit my liberty so that I can help you worship God. And that should be the heart of everybody. That our love for one another is not putting a stumbling block in front of everybody. Paul says that though I am free to do anything, I don't do it all. I make myself a slave. To the Jew, I become a Jew. To the free, I become free. To the Greek, I become a Greek. I submit myself to everybody so that I can draw more people to Christ. So there's a happy medium there. All right, number two, you elevate tradition. Ooh, this one hurts sometimes. You elevate tradition as equal to or even superior to Scripture. Now, I know tradition, again, it started in a good spot. I'm not saying all tradition is bad, but it can become easy for us to be like, this is the way it has always been done, and so we can never change it. The reality is it's probably not always been done like that. 
I love our hymns. I'm not saying we go away from hymns, but you know, it wasn't always hymns that were sang. It started out as the Psalms. And so I'm fine. Again, love limits liberty, but we do not elevate these traditions as equal to or superior to scripture. Again, this is what the Pharisees were doing. In Matthew chapter 15, it says, the Pharisees and scribes, they came to Jesus and they said, why do your disciples break, not scripture, the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So Jesus said to them, and why do you break the commandment of God? So here they're like, the scriptures need to be, or the, the, the tradition needs to be elevated and upheld. And Jesus is like, you guys are breaking the word of God to uphold the, the tradition. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of tradition, you have made void the word of God. This would be like saying, I don't care if nobody ever comes into this building, if we never have another convert, as long as nothing ever changes. Well, you are holding to our tradition way, much, way more than caring about the heart of God, which is people. So tradition has its place. Tradition can be a good thing, but it cannot be elevated to or above Scripture. Number three, you look down on people who are less spiritual than you. Well, because they're not as refined as I am. Well, because they're not uh, as taken care of as I am. Because they don't act like me. Because they're not as mature as me. I look down on them. You know what actually we're supposed to do? Disciple them. Come alongside them. Galatians chapter 6 tells us that we bear their burdens. That we draw near to them. That we encourage them. That we lift them up. We don't look down on them. A great example, Jesus gave a parable, Luke chapter 18. He says, two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I am more spiritually mature. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. He's looking at this guy that doesn't look like him, but yet the tax collector comes in with a broken, contrite heart, which as Psalms tells us is what God desires. And so this tax collector comes in and he says the tax collector's leaves more justified before God. But the Pharisee is looking down upon him because he does not look like him. And Jesus actually tells us, I was reading, if you're reading through, I think you'll get to it this week in our life of Christ, when he shares the parable of the sower. And you know, some seed falls upon the rocks, some seed falls upon the soil or the thorns, some falls upon good soil and it grows. And Jesus says in Matthew 13, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. 
This is what stood out to me, though. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, 60. And in another, 30. Did they all grow the same? No. But there was growth. Not all of us are going to grow at the same rate. Some of us may be a little more stubborn. Some of us may be in a deeper hole. But God is working through all of us. And so we don't look down on people who are quote unquote less spiritual than us. That is a sign of Phariseeism. Instead, we continue to push them to wholeheartedly seek after Christ and imitate him. Number four, we got two more. Your focus is on outward behavior or action rather than heart change. You care more about how somebody is acting, and this kind of goes with number three, rather than the work that God is doing in their heart. This is Jesus giving a woe to the Pharisees. He gives them seven woes, and then he says in Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be made clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That all you care about is your presentation to everybody else, but inside there is death. That all you care about, man, I feel like this one sums up the first three. That all you care about is these people behaving like you instead of caring about the heart change that God is working in them and coming alongside them. That you look down on less spiritual, quote unquote, less spiritual people instead of coming alongside them and encouraging them and walking and discipling them to be more like Christ that you expect people to adhere to our standards and our convictions instead of entrusting God to work in their hearts. So you are more focused on outward action than heart change. This is like the parent who doesn't try and develop a behavior, but all they do is they try and change an action. And so it's not really explaining why. It's just like, don't do that which there's a time for that. But at the same time, it's like me telling Isaiah, hey, anytime he runs into the road, putting a shot collar on him and just zapping him, it's not working on his heart. It's more like, hey, this is why we don't run into the road. This is why you don't hit your sibling gonna be a brother. We don't know the gender of this new baby. I'm speaking it into fruition, but I'll be happy if it's a girl as well. But it's just like, you know, this is why you don't do this. Explaining. The easy thing is to just throw a list of do's and don'ts at them. The, the, the thing we're called to do is to disciple, to walk alongside. And so we care more on outward action than heart change. And then the last one kind of ties in again. You care more about religious regulation and sacrifice and service than you do for people. The parable of the Good Samaritan is one that pops into mind. 
Here they are on their way to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifice, to offer their worship. And they see this man in need and they jump over to the other side so that they can go. And Jesus says, which one is the neighbor to them? And it was the Samaritan who took time to step out of his life and care for this person. That you don't care more about religious regulations because Jesus said it in our passage. What is it that God desires? It's not sacrifice, it's mercy. So much so that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually says, if you are coming to the altar to offer your gifts and there you remember that somebody has an offense against you, God doesn't want your sacrifice more than he wants you to go and be united with your brother. He says, leave your offering there. Go and make things right with your brother and then come and offer your sacrifice. So we are not called. It's easy to get caught up in the church thing and forget about the heart of the church. Jesus' kind of issue with one of the churches in Revelation, I think it was the church in Ephesus, he says, I have this against you. You have forgotten your first love. That may be speculation here. It became only about what we were doing here. It only mattered what happened during the services, that we can't affect this, but that what God is calling us for is, hold on, what is the point of this? It's to worship God, but it's to align our hearts with him. It's to become more in tune with his heart so that we go from here and we care about what he cares about that our heart breaks for what breaks his heart, that we care for hurting and broken people. That's why we are doing this life of Christ. That's the goal in my heart for 2024, is that as we go through the life of Christ, we see the heart of Christ and we become more aligned with the heart of Christ so that then we can be the church of Christ, that we can grow as his body. That it's not a Sunday morning thing, it's not a Sunday night thing, it's not a Wednesday night thing. It is a 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year thing that we are his body. That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with every fiber of our being. And that therefore, because we do that, that drives who we are in the community, in our workplace so that then we are able to love our neighbor. That's what God desires. He doesn't want us to become so intrinsically focused that we become pharisaical, that we look at people and hold them to our standards, that we only care about what's going on here and now and not about hurting and broken people, that we only care about keeping things comfortable here instead of allowing God to interrupt and make us uncomfortable so that we care about what he cares about. Because the Pharisees butted heads with Jesus over and over. And he made them extremely uncomfortable. And so what I would say is that if you read any of those five things, and that's not a blanket statement, there are other things that God shows in scripture. But if you read any of those five things and your heart is like, oh, that 
I don't like that one. That's the Holy Spirit working on you. Because I didn't write any of these with like Doc Gregory. He is a Pharisee in this area. Sorry to call you out. I looked at you. You're, you're not. But, you know, I didn't think, all right, this person needs to hear this message. I thought, what's in my heart? What do I see in the church? What do I see in the universal church? What, most importantly, the scripture show us. Because we want to be God's church. We want to be a church after his heart. Loving what he loves. So five signs of Pharisaism. Wrestle with that. In your bulletin, there's a uh, questionnaire at the bottom that I encourage you, read it over, discuss it. See if your heart is being led in those areas. And if it is, repent. Pray to God for a heart like his. Because the truth is, it can sneak in any of our lives. And we need to be on our guard because that's what Jesus says. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of Pharisees. You want to know the best way to combat Phariseeism? Hold to the cross. Keep the grace of God fully in view of your life. Because what the cross tells us is I'm not better than them. I am not better than that quote unquote less spiritual person. I am a sinner. I am doomed for hell. I am unable to save myself. Only because of the work of Jesus do I have a hope. And that's the same for everybody else. The minute we let go of the cross and start grabbing onto anything else, this is going to creep into your life. And so what we do is we cling to the cross. And that's what we're called to do moving forward. That we are saved by grace and we are called to go and share that grace with our communities. Father God, I praise you for the grace that you have given every single one of us. And God, I pray that we wrestle with this message. God, that if there be any leaven of the Pharisees in our hearts, if there be any hypocrisy, any legalism, God, if there be anything that is not you, God, may, may it just... Make us uncomfortable as we wrestle with that so that, God, we can see where it is that we are holding on to something that's not of you and that we surrender it to you and we lay it before your cross and we, we die to it so that we can just become more like you. God, we need you to work in our hearts. May we not be so prideful that we think that we are a refined people, but may we daily surrender to you. God, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.